Take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we are today. Matthew chapter 6, as we continue in our series in the Lord's Prayer, simply called The Prayer. Here's our key concept for today. We pray that God's kingdom will come to earth as demonstrated by His will being done. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 is our focus today. And while you find that, let me take you back to last week for a moment because I need to clarify something. Um, I gave the wrong cross reference last week to Luke's account of uh, the Lord's Prayer. Somehow I got it in my mind that it was in Luke 6. It was actually in Luke 11. Thankfully, many of you were fact-checking me even as I was speaking. No, oh, really, no, I'm, I'm thankful for that. that. That's good. And so what we did was, uh, as you, as, if you were to watch that video on our website from now and going forward, every time I men- mention uh, Luke chapter 6, there's a little script that comes on the bottom that says, correction, Luke 11. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't write, this idiot has the wrong scripture in mind. But in any way, so thank you for your, your catching that. I really want to be accurate when we deal with the Lord's uh, word for sure. So let's go to uh, chapter uh, 6 of Matthew, verse 10 today. Last week, we looked at the first sentence of the Lord's Prayer. And we were praying to God about his person, okay? We noted that he is father to us and his name should be hallowed, meaning revered and considered holy. Well, today, as we move on in the prayer, we're praying to God about his program for the world. We're praying that his kingdom would be evident in his will being done. It says this, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Frederick Beekner writes about this part of the prayer, and he says, We do well not to pray this lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. When thy will be done is what we are saying, we are asking God to be God and to do not what we want, but what God wants. And if that were to suddenly happen, what then? What would stand and what would fall? To speak those words is to invite a tiger out of the cage, to unleash a power that makes the atomic bomb look like a warm breeze. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done is a big prayer. It's a bold prayer. Consider the progression of the prayer with me. We have prayed that God's name would be hallowed, would be considered holy. And that's a necessary prayer because we know that that is not happening in the world around us, nor is it happening within us completely. God's name is not fully hallowed because God's kingdom is not fully manifest and the kingdom is not fully manifest because there is another kingdom at work right now, the kingdom of darkness. Thus, when we pray to God, your kingdom come, We are entering into a power struggle. There's a battle going on there in that prayer because the kingdom of darkness does not want to give up without a fight. But when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for Christ's kingdom to be victorious. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, spoke more about the kingdom than any other topic It was his favorite topic. Many of his parables had to do with the kingdom. In fact, there's a cluster of them in Matthew chapter 13, a cluster of very short parables, all giving a different element of the kingdom. Matthew 13, 31, the parable of the mustard seed shows us that the kingdom is able to demonstrate surprising growth, starting in a little seed to a large plant. 
In Matthew 13, 33, the parable of the leaven or yeast shows the kingdom has out of proportion influence as it moves throughout the dough. Matthew 13, 44 and 45, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price show us the fantastic worth of the kingdom. Jesus says there is worth sacrificing everything for. In Matthew 13, 47, the parable of the dragnet, it brings us to the consummation where the kingdom has come to earth tangibly and he shows us the kingdom is worth preparing for because it includes judgment. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom of God really means the reign of God, the rule of God, God's active rule. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And everything else that he said, everything else that he did, even the miracles, was basically an illustration of that statement. In him, God's rule had come. And Jesus walked the earth in the days of emperors and kings not just figurehead dynasties that really don't have much to do, but rulers who were indeed the ultimate authority. And so when Jesus speaks about God's authority, this is the image he uses, the kingdom, God the king reigning over us. And the kingdom of God is his sphere of control. It is where he reigns supreme. It's like when I walk into my house, And I come in and I say, I am the king of the castle here in my home. I'm declaring this home is the sphere of my control. Of course, I have to check with Sylvia before I say that. (laughs) But theoretically, that's, that's true. Jesus taught us that his kingdom rule was made manifest in him. He was the personification of God's rule taking place. There's an interesting scene in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus drives out a demon. And the Pharisees say the reason he can do that is because he has the power of Beelzebub, which is their word for Satan. And Jesus responds this way. If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's his point. The kingdom has come upon you in me. You see, God is the ultimate king, whether we choose to be his subject or not. People rebelling and deciding that they don't want God to rule in their lives does not diminish the truth that God is the king. It just places us as rebels against the king. And we are a race of rebels. That rebellion is called sin, and the evidence of that rebellion is all around us every day. Turn on the news when you get home, and you're going to see it. Walk down the streets, and you'll see it. The evidence of the rebellion is all around us. It's behind closed doors. You may not see it, but it is there. And the king of the cosmos has chosen to step into this rebel territory in Jesus, and he invites us back under the rule of the one righteous king, which is what we are made for to be within the rule of God. God reigns. If you are a child of God born again into the family, God reigns in your heart as we submit to the rule by doing His will. But the kingdom of God is not fully manifest because the struggle is ongoing. It will, however, be fully manifest in His next coming. Mark 14, 25, Jesus speaks, I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. 
Even though Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom was present in him, and the gospel of the good news says you can enter into that kingdom and have a, a, a part in the rule of God, be a part of what God is doing in the world, he also was telling us there is a sense in which the kingdom is still yet to come. We live in the in-between times. We live between the first advent and the second advent of Jesus. The, the kingdom is inaugurated in his first coming and seen in the defeat of sin and Satan. And it continues as God rules in us. Every time we serve him, every moment I do battle against temptation, every time we worship together and we sing his praise, as I live according to God's call on my life and I act justly and mercifully towards the needs of the world and the people around me, the kingdom is evidenced in you and in me. But there's more coming. There's better coming. Why? The king is coming. And Jesus will arrive. Paul calls that the blessed hope. That's what we hope for. And so when you pray the words, your kingdom come, we're actually praying three things all at once. We're saying, God, your kingdom come, rule in the hearts of your people here and now. We are praying for a more extensive and a more all-encompassing obedience on the part of God's people. But the single most important thing that I can do right now is to allow the rule of God to shape my life and my decisions. In other words, it's a personal prayer when you pray, your kingdom come. You're praying, be enthroned in my heart and in the hearts of your people. But it's also saying, expand your influence in the world. We're praying for a more expansive witness of the gospel. We're praying that the message go out so that the number of hearts given to Jesus increases. It's a personal prayer, but it's also a missionary prayer. Your kingdom come. Expand the work around the world so that we can work against sin, whether it's an individual sin or a structural evils, that these will be diminished because the kingdom of God expands. Psalm 2.8 is a messianic psalm. And in that, in that psalm we read, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. When we say your kingdom come, we're saying give the nations to Jesus. It's a missionary prayer. Isaac Watts was a British pastor, a hymn writer. He died in 1748, but you still sing his best-known song a couple times every year, I'm sure, and that is, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. But he has another hymn in your hymn book. It starts this way, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run, his kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. The vision is everywhere the sun hits the earth, the kingdom is expanding there as the servants of the king spread the message from shore to shore. It's a missionary prayer. But also we're praying, reign on the earth in your future coming. We're saying we long for the day, Jesus, when, that, when you will be here again establishing a tangible kingdom on earth. The Christian faith leans into the future, always looking forward to the day when the fulfillment of time comes. All of this that's happening around us and in us, all of this is going somewhere. You see, it's a personal prayer. It's a missionary prayer, and it's a prophetic prayer. Fulfill the prophecies. We know the prophecies. The angel said to Mary, he will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Ultimately, the kingdom is both a present reality, God ruling in us, and a future vision when he will rule tangibly on earth and the earth will be different. All of this is going somewhere. This history is what God is doing. It's his story. The message is there's really not a great and eternal circle of life. No matter how much you like the cute baby lion in the movie, it is not a circle of life. Time is linear. Time is moving along. The grand story of God is being worked out. Out of nothing, God created. Out of bondage, He forged His people. Out of the wilderness, He took them into the land of promise. Out of His people came a Savior. And out of the death of that Savior came pardon and freedom and release and hope. And out of that suffering came resurrection. And God the Spirit, out of His influence, the church was born. And we exist to live out the purpose, to spread the Word of God, to speak the words of hope. For out of this age will come a tribulation which will, cu will culminate in the coming of the Lord, coming out of heaven to establish a millennial rule, finally to usher in the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. All of this is going somewhere. You're praying for that when you pray, Thy kingdom come. And on that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. On that day, the saints and angels will sing His praise together. This is where it's all going. And God is king. It's a statement that wraps around the entire Bible. God starts it all off with a word and He finally sits in authority on His throne. When you pray, your kingdom come, you're saying, God, move the timeline along. Rule now in me and then come. But we're also praying in this sentence, thy will be done. Now, I want you to see the relationship between these two statements. They're the same, they're different sides of really the same coin. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven is the result of the kingdom coming. And when the kingdom comes, his will will be done. You see, that's the prayer. God's will is being done in heaven right now. His perfect will. It's being carried out in perfection. That's what makes heaven heavenly. The will of God is being done there. It's, it's being accomplished. And we are prompted to pray as we realize that. God, bring that down here. Let that happen here. Because in heaven, God's will is done completely. It's done consistently. It's done con constantly. It's done without complaint or resistance. We're asking God, we want to experience that. That will be done. See, the logical consequence of the coming of the kingdom is that the will of God will be followed. But when you pray, your will be done, you're praying an open-ended prayer. You're not dictating the results. When you pray this prayer, you're saying, God, I realize that I'm not smarter than you. So ask yourself, have you gotten into the habit of telling God how to run the universe? Maybe you say, no, I would not presume to do that. Well, what about the part of the universe that you inhabit, your life? Are you telling God how to run that? Your will be done is open-ended. It's different from how we normally pray. Normally, we ask for specific things. God, I'd like this to happen here. I want that to happen here. I'd love to have that and these kinds of, kind of prayers. And the, the point is, the Bible invites us to ask. The Bible does invite us to ask. 
But asking is different than demanding. This prayer here is a counterbalance to the attitude that says, I know what's best. I know how to pray. I know exactly how things should work out. Here we're praying, Lord, I'm not dictating the outcome, but what happens, what I'm praying for is that whatever happens is in the category of your will because when it's in the category of your will, I trust you that it's going to be best. I want the outcome of my prayer to be that. And what should we know about the will of God? We know the will of God often is not easy. When Jesus talks to his followers, he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, understand, that's the first century. This is where crucifixions really happen. To us today, it's kind of like saying, take up the electric chair and carry it along with you because you may have to sacrifice everything to follow me. The will of God is not easy. The will of God may not be accomplished quickly. The will of God in terms of His leading in our lives takes time to unfold and develop. And that's the third point. The will of God unfolds gradually. It's not a lump sum all at once kind of thing. Think of this. If you pray for the will of God to happen in your life and you picture that will of God as a gift, let's say a gift of money, Imagine I, I give a 10-year-old $1,000. I might be concerned that that 10-year-old not spend that $1,000 wisely, right? So instead of just giving him the $1,000, I say, come to me each day and I'll give you $10. And with the $10, I'll give you some ideas about how you can use the money. And over time, step by step, day by day, gradually the full gift is given, but it's given in a way that it can be managed. And that is exactly how God demonstrates His will to you in terms of His will for your life, His directions for your life. He gives it in installments so that it will be used wisely. He gives it in installments because He knows with each installment we grow. We are matured. We understand a little bit more about who He is and what He wants from us. The will of God is unfolded gradually. And fourthly, the will of God will always be in keeping with the Word of God because God does not contradict Himself. Thus, we need to be people who read the Word of God and soak up the content of the Word of God so that we can sense the stirring of the Spirit of God as He's leading us and His promptings. So we'll be able to identify the counterfeit ideas when they come too. See, the King has given us a manual for kingdom living. And there are times when you will consult this manual with the issues of your life and you'll read it and it will be very clear what to do and what not to do. Do this, don't do this. That's the moment we don't make excuses. That's the moment we don't say, yeah, well, that doesn't apply to me. Or that, well, that was written a long time ago, so surely it's out of date by now. I think this has expired. No, we say none of that. Do this, don't do this. There will be times when it's very clear. And then there will be times you'll be reading the Word of God and it won't exactly have your situation. The specifics of your life won't be there, but what will be there are principles, principles by which you make the decision because His will will never contradict His Word. And fifthly, the will of God is to be done, not just known. You see? May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is meant to prompt us to the next thought to say, you know what, I'm on earth right now. And I have to be part of that. I need to be part of 
this prayer coming true. I need to be doing the will of God while I'm on earth. In other words, we wake up every morning and we, we say our morning prayers, and part of that prayer is simply, God, I'm reporting for duty today. Show me what your will is for me. Show me where you'll be working so I can be a part of it. Because I, I don't want to just ask for this or just think about it. I want to be active in doing it. And when we ask for God's will, we have this confidence in mind. God's will will never take you where the grace of God cannot find you. God's will will never take you where the arms of God cannot support you, where the riches of God cannot supply you. The will of God will never take you to where the wisdom of God can't teach you or the power of God can't protect you. The will of God will, can't take you further than where the hands of God can hold you. The will of God will never take you to where the love of God cannot enfold you. The will of God will not take you further where the mercies of God can't reach you or the peace of God can't soothe you. The will of God will never take you to where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears. The will of God will not take you to where the word of God can't feed your soul or the eye of God can't find you. The will of God is where we need to be. Call out for the will of God. Your will be done in me. Your will be done in our people. Because there, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. And there you will be blessed. Why? You are intended to be part of the kingdom of God. So would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And what I'd like you to do is just silently... Think about the situations that concern your heart. A relationship, a job, family needs. Maybe it's a decision that you're making that will change the course of direction of your life. Let the Spirit of God identify whatever it is that's on your heart. And right now, silently, plead for the will of God to be done there. Take a moment and pray. Lord, remind us that we are not sovereign we are not our own little kings in our own personal kingdom, the center of our own universe. Remind us that we are subjects, part of the rule of the true king. And as you rule, you rule in love. You rule in wisdom. You perfectly are aware of exactly what has to happen and what has to happen next. So, Lord, when we pray your will be done in our lives, we know we're praying for blessing. We're praying for help. We're praying for your assistance in the way that you will give it in the timing that it will come. We are praying humbly before you. Lord, thank you that we are part of the kingdom that will never end. Help us to play our role well and to serve you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that we have in you. In your name we pray. Amen.